Welcome to the Michael Rothstein Show live from Regents Field, Ann Arbor's true sports bar at 204 Main Street in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Regents Field also happens to be home of this podcast, which for the first time is the Michael Rothstein Show. Welcome to my show. I am ESPN Detroit Lions beat writer, Ann Arbor resident, and the person my grandmother called Michigan more than anyone else. Michael Rothstein, and this will be a podcast where we will discuss what's going on in the world of the Detroit Lions, the NFL, and sports in general with newsmakers and journalists, while also going behind the helmets and the laptops of those same very people. If you like what you hear, make sure to give us a rating and a good review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe, too. This week will be a little bit different because Detroit didn't play over the weekend, but their defensive game plan against Kansas City definitely appeared to be in play against the Colts as they basically handled them pretty well, leading the Chiefs to their first loss of the season. See, usually the plan for this podcast will be this, a review of the last game, a preview of the next one with an opposing beat person. Then, if all goes well, another guest from the world of football or the Detroit Lions. Sometimes they'll be live right here next to me. Other times, they'll be calling in, and in some rare occasions, it might be taped before. The conversation will be about football and about life. If you've read my work over at ESPN, you know I like to learn about the humans behind the face mask, and that's part of what we'll be doing here. This is another spot where this podcast will be different than some others. As you might be able to hear a little bit in the background, there's ambient noise. This podcast will be done live, for the most part, every Tuesday night at Regents Field. You can come down here, watch it, ask some questions as well, as the podcast is going on, right here at Regents Field. And now I'd like to introduce this week's guest, my ESPN counterpart in Green Bay, Wisconsin, Rob Domovsky. Honored to have Rob as the guest on my inaugural show for many reasons. We've known each other for a while now, back to the days where we both paid attention to the college basketball landscape, me covering Notre Dame, and Rob covering Wisconsin Green Bay basketball. Back then, I had a National College Player of the Year poll, and Rob was always gracious enough to help out with that poll. Now, he's joining me here in another very kind act. So thanks to Rob for being my guest on our inaugural show. Rob, appreciate you being here, and let's start here. Where are the Packers maybe different this year than what we've seen in the past? If Aaron, or if, uh, Aaron Jones didn't dominate the game both with, uh, from a running standpoint, but also out of the backfield. Um, he ended up with uh, 181 total yards from scrimmage, and, and it doubled what, what Ezekiel Elliott put out. So I, I think they found a running game, and they found a little bit of a way to stop the run, which were the two things that you know, we really had not seen them do at all the first four weeks of the season. Do you think this is maybe the most balanced offense? And I hate that cliche of yeah. offensive balance, but is this maybe the most balanced offense you think the Packers have had for Rodgers in, what, five, six well, years? Yeah. I mean, it couldn't be any more unbalanced. Let's put it that way. They were, <laughs> they were 32nd, dead last in the league in rushing percentage last year. Um, you know, Mike McCarthy uh, and, and Joe Philbin, even when he was the interim coach, it was just, a, you know, it was basically throw it uh, three quarters of the time. So um, I think they're about near the middle of the league right now in terms of run attempts um, and percentage of run plays. So, uh, you know, that's at least closer to balance. It's not, you know, there was a time, and, and I covered these guys, you know, during the Farve era, there was a time when the Packers had Amon Green and they were a run first team. I mean, Green rushed for a franchise record. 1,884 yards, I think it was, in around 2003 or four, 
and they were a run first team. This team isn't quite to that degree yet, um, but they are more balanced. They, they are, uh, they, they are trying to build everything around the run. And that's sort of the, um, you know, the Kyle Shanahan, uh, Sean McVay system is, is more, you know, it's not necessarily running the ball. It's just getting the running back involved in a bunch of different ways. You know, I think that's sort of what we're finally starting to see here as Matt LaFleur, the new coach, sort of gets his system implemented. And, and I think he's having, you know, he's, he's wrestling with how much he does that and how much he just lets Rodgers do what Rodgers has done great for, you know, so much of his career. Yeah. How much has Aaron Rodgers, for obviously Lions people haven't seen them yet, yeah. how much has Aaron Rodgers taken to LaFleur? Because obviously we all know by the end with McCarthy, yeah. it, it was not going well. Yeah. No, he uh, – one thing I can say, Michael, is he, he really, really likes him. And, and that's, you know, there, there's two elements to it. There's one, do you like him as a human being? And two, do you believe in what he's doing as a head coach? And I think early on there, there were and maybe still are, you know, some doubts about just how much he, he likes and is willing to do what LaFleur wants him to do. But he really likes him as a guy. He really likes his style. And I think when a player, especially a superstar player, does that, he might be more willing to give it a shot. Uh, I mean, I, I tweeted this uh, last night or on Sunday night after the game. I don't know that I've seen Roger smile in a post-game press conference more than he did or as much as he did in Dallas on, on Sunday night. And he's just, I mean, I think he's genuinely having a good time. I think he likes this team. He said he likes the vibe. And, you know, guys will say that sometimes and, and you're not sure whether what to believe. But I, I genuinely believe him. He's, uh, he's just different than he has been the last couple of years. So the obvious question there is this, is a happy Aaron Rodgers just downright scary for everybody else? Or is, or is he like yeah. this content old guy now where he's like, you know what? I'm happy. I'm just going to do what I do. And I'm not going to rip the hearts out of every team I play over and over and over again like he's done for a decade. Yeah, one of the lines I used in my story just writing about the, you know, the vibe, him saying he likes the vibe. I, it's sort of a, a takeoff, the happy wife, happy life, happy quarterback, <laughs> happy team. You know, I mean, it, it, it really is. And it, um, I, I've got a story that's going to run on uh, – uh, I can't did today. Uh, Wednesday morning on ESPN.com. It's a great little story about Lucas Patrick. And everyone's like, who's Lucas Patrick? It's really not important, but he's their backup center who came in. And he told this great story about how um, in camp, Aaron Rodgers noticed that Patrick was kind of down in the dumps and he was struggling. And, and Rodgers sat down with them. They ate lunch, had a real good talk, and just felt so much better about himself. And, and I think that's a sign that Rodgers is, is genuinely engaged. Uh, you, know, you hear all these stories, you know, and it's mostly from a handful of ex-teammates like Greg Jennings and Jermichael Finley ripping his leadership style. Well, this is a different, just one guy, but I think it's an example of you know, a bigger thing and how engaged he is right now. Um, and, and look, he didn't play great the other day in Dallas. Uh, he played okay, but and he does not like the idea that he's a game manager. Um, he he, he kind of bristled at that when we asked him about that a week or so ago. But he that's kind of right now he doesn't necessarily have to be any more than that. He can play that way, and they can still be 4-1 like they are. And he can sort of say, you know what, if I have to take over, I will. I mean, there were still plays that were kind of rip your heart out plays. The Cowboys thought they had him dead to rights on a sack. He, he slithers out of it. He throws a left-handed shovel pass to, to Aaron Jones. And I, I don't know what it gains, seven yards maybe. But instead of being a four-yard sack, it's a seven-yard gain. And those are the kind of plays, while it's not the Hail Mary that he threw in Detroit or it's not the unbelievable sideline throw to Jared Cook in the playoff game at Dallas, they're plays that keep you, you know, instead of being uh, second and 14, now it's it's uh, second and three, uh, you know, and, and, you, and you end up rolling. So those are the kinds of things that we've seen from him so far through, uh, you know, through five games. What do you think is going to be, what, when you turn attention to Monday night now, what do you think is the biggest key for the Packers on Monday night? Because obviously the Lions defense is a bit better than it was last year. 
The Lions have won four in a row, which hasn't happened in a long time. And they seem to at least have figured out Aaron Rodgers to a very small extent. So he thinks the biggest key on Monday night. Yeah. I mean, those games have been – the last two years have been really kind of ugly from the Packers' perspective. And, I mean, there was the game um, – you know, uh, what was that? There was the game two years ago, which was the – well, they were both season finales there, if I'm not mistaken. But there was the game where um, where the Packers just didn't look like they wanted to be there. I mean, it was it was brutal. And, and you know, last year they were playing out the string with an interim coach. And, you know, so it's, it's kind of like um, you don't really have a great feel for what's gone on with this, this little rivalry the last couple of years because, you know, some of the games have kind of been meaningless. The game there in Detroit last year, I mean, Mason Crosby missed five kicks in that game, four field goals and an extra point. So there's just been some weird things. But, hey, for, for a team that, what, couldn't beat the Packers, you know, to save their lives for how long, now they've done what they've done. So um, it definitely has the Packers' attention. Um, so I, I got to be honest, I have not seen a ton of the Lions. I did watch um, the week one game, um, which, you know, was interesting. Um but I, uh, I have not seen a ton of them. I, I'm very curious, very eager to see how they look because I've always thought, and I think in talking to scouts, um, you know, when I've talked to scouts, they've always spoken highly of Stafford and his talents and his abilities. He's had some bad games against the Packers, but I think he's a better quarterback than, than maybe he's shown in those games. And from an arm talent and a, and a skill standpoint, I still think, and the scouts I talk to, they'll put him, you know, up there. Uh, you know, not top five, obviously, but definitely, you know, top 10 or 11. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting, actually. So Matt Patricia was talking today, and, or today being Tuesday. We're, we're recording this on Tuesday night. And I had asked him specifically because he had game planned really well against the Chiefs and really well against the Rams, kind of gave blueprints for future opponents to yeah. really kind of stifle those offenses. And he swept Green Bay last year, which doesn't happen. And yeah, I mean, Aaron Rodgers had a ton of yards, and there were all those missed field goals, but he did a decent job game planning for Aaron Rodgers. So I actually asked him, when you game plan well for an Aaron Rodgers, does that give you more confidence yeah. or whatever? And he said it actually makes him more nervous because I think he's done it before, and he knows what Aaron Rodgers can do. Does Aaron Rodgers pay attention to that, where if a defensive coordinator has kind of had his number a little bit or, or yeah. maybe taken advantage of him, he seems like a type of guy that would like maybe write that in a notebook or like yes. on a note on his phone or in his locker or wherever yes. he puts these things. He pays attention to everything. It is amazing. I mean, like Mike Zimmer, when, when they played Zimmer, when Mike Zimmer was in Cincinnati as a defensive coordinator, and obviously you don't play those teams very often, but, but he, lost, he lost to Mike Zimmer. And Zimmer really had a great plan for him. And when Zimmer got the job in Minnesota, Rodgers, you know, definitely was like, oh, okay, this is, this is not going to be easy. Uh, you know, I think, I think the same thing with guys that he respects, uh, you know, and, and systems that he respects. Obviously, the Patriots are a big part of that. And, and, you know, I mean, look, this has been a difficult division to play against in, in terms of, you know, look who the coaches are defensively, okay? You know, Zimmer obviously has, has that background. Patricia has the background. I know Chicago's got an offensive head coach, but they had Vic Fangio, you know, there running that defense for the last couple of years. And, and Vic really, I mean, Vic Fangio in San Francisco was 4-0 and as defensive coordinator against Aaron Rodgers. You know, that, yeah. that includes a couple of playoff games and includes Kaepernick as, as the quarterback running for a million yards against them. But 4-0 and is 4-0. And and then when he, you know, and, and he was running Chicago's defense you know, obviously Rodgers had more success against Chicago, but he definitely pays attention to those types of games. And this is not an easy division to play offense in just because of the defensive coaches that are in it. Right, which is kind of crazy because when I started covering this league in 13, this 
this division always felt more offensive based. And then really once Zimmer came in and right. the Bears trade for Khalil Mack and obviously with Patricia and now with the Green Bay is doing this year, it seems like that's flipped a little bit, which well, it's, I don't know, it's, it's gone back to yeah, it's gone back to what it was, you know, in like the eighties and nineties with when it was the black and blue division, you know. I mean, you know, don't forget that's what they called the NFC, the old NFC Central. Um, you know, it was the black and blue division where you know, you had tough weather games, uh, you know, in Chicago, tough weather games in Green Bay, and, and you had to run the ball and you had to play defense. And, and, and that's sort of what it was way back when. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit kind of like that. I mean, that, that Chicago game in week one, um, Bears-Packers was a black and blue division kind of game. You, know, you, can say it was you can say it was bad offense, but I thought it was pretty good defense. No, I agree. It's funny. Back when I was a kid and I was like in the early to mid 90s, I would just call it the black and blue and Tampa Bay, too, because like Tampa exactly. Bay was like this yeah. weird outlier in that division, yep. which, no which actually transitions to this, which is uh, so for first time listeners, which is basically everybody beyond just having a beat writer guest on. We're also from time to time going to have a Lions player on or somebody else from the world of football. And Bob's going to fill in that role today as well. And it's going to be more of a human conversation. So kind of switching a little bit to that, which is not the best of radio transitions or podcasting <laughs> transitions. How did you get started in this business oh. well before you and I were, were doing this? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, boy, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm old, man. I'm 48 years old. Um, I, I, you look good for 48, brother. Well, I appreciate it. As um, I thought, you know, I thought I was going to be an NBA player and I was barely even a high school player. So, that was out. Um, so I, I always liked sports and I always liked, like I was a big current events kind of junkie. I, I can remember like the, um, I was, I think I was 10 years old when President Ronald Reagan, uh, when there was an assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan, which also happened to be the same day as the national championship game in college basketball that day. And I remember, you know, getting ready to watch Indiana and who were they I don't remember who they were playing in 81 but Indiana won the title and I was like really upset that they were talking about not playing the national championship game because of this you know this national uh, tragedy and I remember watching all the news coverage of that and thinking how fascinating like the media was covering this major news event and sort of ever since then I, I kind of became a news junkie my, my dad worked in I grew up in Chicago my dad worked in downtown Chicago and we would get a morning paper delivered to our house and then we he would bring home the evening paper that he read on the train so I just started reading newspapers uh, we always watched the news at my house and I just I, I kind of at some point realized that news and sports can go together um, you know I never really realized that and I just became kind of a kind of a junkie in terms of, of information and so long story short um went you know high school you go to your guidance counselor and they ask what you think you want to do and I said well I'm kind of interested in journalism or communications and they give you a list of 20 schools that have good programs and um, I applied to a couple of them Ohio University being one of them um, I went to uh, visit the campus in Athens Ohio I was a senior in high school and there was a kid from my my school that was a year older than me that went there for journalism and he was a freshman in college and I was a senior. I went to visit him and quite honestly, he snuck me into a bunch of bars and I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. So I said, <laughs> came home and told my parents, this is where I'm going to college. Little did I know that pretty much every college has, you know, bars that you go to, but, um, so I yeah, went to Syracuse college. had a few of those. Yeah. Uh, so I went, I actually went there as a broadcast journalism major and look, 
Ohio University is a great place, but it's in Athens, Ohio, which isn't exactly a media mecca. There's no, there were no uh, network affiliates. Uh, you know, the nearest NBC, CBS, whatever station was in either Columbus, Ohio, which was uh, uh, about 100 miles away, or, uh, Hunt, or Parkersburg, West Virginia, which is West Virginia, and, you know, wasn't, wasn't going to go there. So I realized there were more opportunities um, to get experience in, journal, in print journalism. We have a, a student newspaper that's produced completely by students five days a week. I mean, ev you know, every day, but Saturday and Sunday, not, a, not an adult running the place. And, and I learned how to basically do journalism by, by that. And um, so I started covering the football and basketball teams for the, stu the student newspaper. Actually, my first beat was the cross country team. And they had no, they had no meets anywhere where I could go. Like I didn't watch <laughs> any of the meets, but I wrote about the cross country team. So you just, you know, you find feature stories, whatever. Uh, after that, I think I covered the softball team, then maybe vo volleyball before I finally got one of the, you know, the big beats where it was the, yeah. the basketball and the, uh, the ba uh, football team. So um, ended up getting a job offer from the newspaper in Athens, Ohio, the real paper, um, mm -hmm. right after I graduated, stayed there, covered Ohio University football and basketball for two more years after I graduated, um, then got a job at a small newspaper in upstate New York, uh, Corning, New York, which is probably more known for Corningware Glass, if you've ever heard of Corning, you know, the... Oh, yeah. The, the, I mean, the, yeah, listen, the, I, I'm a New Yorker, of course. Well, right. But Corning, Corning is where they make Corningware, which is like, you know, the Pyrex um, uh, dishes and all that kind of thing. Covered high school sports there, but it also... Um, it also was right near Watkins Glen International Racetrack, which had NASCAR events. We had an LPGA and a PGA Tour event nearby. I got a chance to cover that stuff. Did that for two years, and, and then I ended up in Green Bay in 1997 as the number three reporter on the Packers and the college basketball writer uh, for Wisconsin Green Bay. So I did, you know, I did Packers and college basketball from 97 until 2013 when ESPN went to its 32 uh, reporter NFL Nation group, and, and, and that's how I got to where I am. I was going to say, that's how we both ended up there. Well, our, our paths were way more similar than, uh, than probably I would, I would have actually guessed. We've never actually talked about that in all the years that we've known each other. But what was it like starting your career in the college town that you worked? Like, was that different than uh, well, if you had gotten sent to like, Montana? Yeah, it's really weird when you're there and it's uh, winter break and you're covering the basketball team and there's no students there, you know, <laughs> or, or in the summertime when – um, you know, you're working de desk shifts and, uh, yeah, it is weird. Yeah. But like I had, you know, I, I put, put it to you this way. I played six years of intramural uh, basketball, uh, because I still managed to sneak onto an intramural team, even though I wasn't a student for the last <laughs> two years. So, <laughs> well, that's, that's well done. Were you, were you accepted on that intramural team or were they kind of like, listen, old man, go away. You're 23. Yeah, it was actually, um, we always had a team from the, the newspaper, uh, the student newspaper had a team. Uh, so I just I just kept playing with those guys, uh, the young, the younger guys. So uh, and I guess they never checked IDs at that point. So you just signed up. That's that's. We actually hey we actually got to the championship game, uh, and we lost to a bunch of the football players. And I ended up having to guard like a tight end who was the smallest guy that I could guard. He was still like six two and two hundred and thirty pounds. So we did okay until we had to play the football team. Yeah, no, that that was how it was at Syracuse too. The second you ran into the football team, you were done. Like. Yep. They, they would put five guys on the court who were all like 6'6", six, six, 260, and you're like, well, all right, this was fun. Like 5'9", five, yep. five, no, five, 5'11", five, 190 is just not going to get it done nope. across the board. Nope. Uh, so kind of looking at how you tell stories, right? Like what's your approach yep. to tell a story? So. You've, done, you've told thousands in your career on, about yeah. so many things. What, what's your approach there? 
So like, it's, it, you know, there's a million different ways to do our jobs and, and, and there's no, there's no, I should say there's no wrong way. I mean, there, there is a wrong way if you, if you do something bad, but uh, there's so many different ways. And basically when I talk to um, people that are kind of aspiring to, to go into the business, um, the number one goal, the number one job is to tell people something they didn't already know. Right. I mean, like that, that's, we're, we're in the, inf we're in the information business. Like, Anybody can write anything like you, anybody can watch a game on television and write, you know, what they think or what they saw. But, but our job is to take people where they can't go and to tell them things that they didn't know just by watching. Um, and, and I guess, Mike, every time I sit down to write a story, that's the goal I have in mind, you know, to try to tell the reader or the, or if it's a television piece or a radio thing to try to tell them something that they didn't know before. And if, if I did that, I feel like I've done my job. Um, at least, at least I've done it partially. Um, you know, where, where I've, 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 I hate to use the word educate because it's sports, but yeah. um, I, I told somebody something they didn't know before they read what I wrote or saw what I said on television, and that, that's my starting point. Now, it, it's just a starting point, um, but it's where I, it's, it's what I always try to remind myself when I sit down to do something, is just tell somebody they, something they didn't already know. So, what's a, what's the story you're most proud of then? Oh boy. You know, sometimes it's funny. Like I look back through, through archives and like even a story from like a year or two ago, sometimes I'm like, man, I, I don't even remember writing that, you know, uh, <laughs> but there, there are memorable, there, there are memorable stories along the way. Um, I mean, I just recently, um, uh, I wrote a piece last season on, um, Joe Philbin, who was the Packers, uh, interim ended up being the interim coach after McCarthy got fired. I wrote the story the week before McCarthy got fired, had no idea, obviously that was going to happen or that, that Philbin was going to be the interim head coach, but he had come back to green Bay after uh, being here in the, in the two thousands as offensive coordinator and on the Super Bowl team. And I don't know if people remember, but his, his son drowned in the Fox river, which is the, the river that runs right through the city of green Bay. It's divide, divides the city into the East side and West side. And his son, uh, late at night, you know, wandered into the frozen river, uh, was, was intoxicated. And, um, it was right before the Packers playoff game against the Giants when the Packers were 15 and one and, and they lost the game. And I mean, who knows if that had anything to do with it, but there was a real, a pall was cast over the city uh, and, and the team. And, and about two weeks later, Philbin gets the job as the uh, head coach of the Miami Dolphins. I mean, first of all, can you imagine you lose your son and then two weeks later you get the chance of a lifetime to be an NFL head coach. Um, and, and what That's do you crazy. do? You have to take the job. And, and he, yeah, and he even said, look, I don't know if I was thinking in my, you know, as clearly as, as I could. And so they, so anyway, uh, he goes to Miami, lasts about three and a half years, gets fired. Um, Mike McCarthy had asked him if he wanted to come back to Green Bay then. And he just said, he and his wife just decided they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. So he went to the Colts for a couple of years. The, the staff in Indianapolis gets fired last off season or the off season before last. And McCarthy gives him another not the call and says, do you want to come back? I could really use you. And they talked about it and they came back and, and Philbin didn't really want to talk a lot about that when he first came back about his son, but about halfway through the season, he agreed to sit down with me and he poured his heart out. And I talked to his wife and his wife told me about this story. They have, they have six kids. Okay. And the one that, the one that died was the, was right in the middle. And, um, he, his wife had told me the story during the process of the, of the interview. She said, you know, um, the, sum, the summer before Michael died, their oldest son, Matthew, was going into the army, was, was in the army had, and, and was going over to Iraq or Afghanistan to serve. And she said, you know what? I, I need a family picture. He was leaving like the next day. She goes, we don't have a recent family picture. What if he goes over there and something happens? 
and, and we don't have a picture. So they, they put this family photo together. And as she says it, she goes, Matthew goes to Afghanistan. He's fine. And Matt and Michael dies. And this is, and thank goodness we have this picture. And I, you know, I said, do, do you have the picture? Can we use she said, Yes. She gives me the picture. We, we use it with the story. And it's just one of those stories that, you know, they just, those stories don't come along very often. And then when someone is willing to pour their heart out to you and trust you, like I, I, it's the most rewarding thing I think you can do in this business. And, and it's one of those stories I'm sure you've done them over the years where you just want it to be right for the family, you know, like you, you don't, and if you feel like if you get it right for them, then you're, then you're going to get it right for the readers. And, and those are rare, but um, you know, it, it just goes, and you know what, here's, here's a side story to this. Joe Philbin was the offensive line coach of the Ohio university team I covered in 1995. They were 0-11. It was his only year there. They got fired. But I met Joe back then, and it's that long-standing relationship that we had that I think led him to trust me to do this story. Did, did he remember you from being like this uh, kid back in 95? Well, or? we had, we had, we had sort of talked about it. Like, and I gotta be honest with you. I wasn't interviewing the offensive line coach then. Cause I didn't know what sure. the hell I was doing, you know, at the, but, but I said, you know, Hey, I don't know if you're, this is when he first came to green Bay the first time in the, um, I guess it was around the early two thousands when Mike Sherman brought him here. And I said, Hey, I don't know if you remember me, uh, but I covered the team through the Athens messenger. And he goes, I definitely remember the name. I remember reading your stories. Um, we were a t we were a disaster that year. I took the job, and eight months later, we were fired. Like we lived there for, you know, we literally lived in Athens, Ohio, for eight months. Uh, he took the job in in you know I don't know February or March, and you know was fired before the end of the season. So, uh, but it just you know it just you, you got to this this business like any is about building relationships, and that's one that you know I'll, I guess I'll always cherish. So the thing that is there a story that still gnaws at you after you know 25 or so years in this thing uh um boy that's a good question uh I, you know i, I can't th there's stories that i've always wanted to do that i've never been able to do um mm -hmm. but i don't know that um you know and I, i'm not saying i've gotten every story right because i certainly have haven't um, but no, I don't, I don't, I, I just, you know, I, I sort of think that, um, you know, you do, you, you do your best on, on every story that you can and you're not going to get them all. They're not all going to be Pulitzers, but, um, it sort of goes back to that. Tell somebody something they didn't know and you've done your job kind of thing. But there, there's plenty of stories that I, that I want to do before my career's over. And, and as long as I still have those on the horizon, then. You know, I guess that's kind of what keeps you going. The other thing that always gets me going is, is just news. Like, I know in this day and age, breaking news doesn't last very long because somebody breaks a story, then everybody confirms it. But I still love being first. I still love having a, having a good old-fashioned scoop. Well, you know, Ricky Bobby says being first or last. So <laughs> it's kind of that, that's the mantra we have to live by. Um, you've covered so many people in your career that, yeah. that are at least uh, – I hate like you know kind of fluffing it up like nfl quote-unquote royalty people right. say that about guys like Favre and, and even yeah. rogers and, and some of those guys who's the most interesting person you think you've covered well not even with the packers although i'm guessing it'll probably be a packer yeah who's that um, most interesting person i mean the, the easy answer is Favre, and, and I, I, i'll give you another answer in a minute but but here's why Favre was so interesting is and, and it, part of it could have been just the day, the day and age that he played in but Favre lived his life like an open book. I mean, in, in the days that, of these guys being so private 
and, and, and controlling their own message with their own social media posts. Favre, everything that was going on in Favre's life, pretty much he, pretty much you knew about. I mean, he just, look, he, he publicly grieved the loss of his father, you know, in that incredible Monday night game uh, in Oakland. He, he said he was addicted to painkillers and, and he was going to rehab. Uh, his wife had breast cancer and he shaved his head. His, his family was incredibly affected by, uh, by the hurricane in, in you know, New Orleans, Mississippi. Uh, I mean, he told the story of his grandma basically like swimming out of her house. Uh, his dad, his dad, Big Irv, uh, was, was always around. Like he was just, you know, you'd go to the team hotel and there'd be Irvin Favre holding court in the lobby with reporters, with fans. I mean, it's just everything he did, you know, was, was there for the, for, to see including some of the warts, you know, like um, some of the trouble that he got into um, his whole, you know, should I, his annual, should I retire? Should I not retire? It was just all so open. And, and that's what made it so interesting. If you, if you needed a quote about a story, didn't matter what the story was and you went to Favre, he was going to tell you something that was really interesting. Uh, one way that's or the all other. we ask. I mean, if you right? didn't, if you didn't have a story idea, and you went to one of his Wednesday press conferences, you had your pick of story ideas. Like he just, he 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 uh, he loved the give and take with the media. Um, he he understood our jobs. Uh, he read absolutely everything. Made no bones about it. Um, and if he had a beef with you, you you talked about it, and then it was a slap on the back, and you guys went about your business. So so from that perspective. And again, I don't know how much of it is Brett Favre and how much of it is just that, that was the times, you know, the, the yeah. 90s and, and early 2000s. Uh, but there's some unbelievably smart people that I've covered over the years. Um, I mean, Charles Woodson is right up there. Uh, uh, Matt Hasselbeck is, he was only in Green Bay for a couple of years, but boy, was he, you know, was he something. Um, Ron Wolf, the Packers general manager was, he was like my Bobby Knight in the, in the sense that I was scared to death to call him as a young reporter because he was so darn intimidating. Uh, but he, he didn't have the Bobby Knight, like he wasn't mean like Bobby Knight. He was just super intimidating. Um, it's just, there's, you know, there, there's, there's characters, there's people that, you know, like you said, all you can ask for is they share things with us and, and tell, tell a story because I still say we're the connection between them and the fans, even though they can connect with, Instagram and Snapchat and all this other stuff. Um, we're, we're still an important connection to it. And, and um, you know, I just, I, I think that's, that's really neat when you can tell those stories with those kind of people. You're a big golfer too, not to take a giant left turn here, but you're a big <laughs> golfer also. First, so in doing some research for this, what's up with the Rob Domofsky PGA Twitter account? Is that uh, my... Yeah, so, so that was, um, when I was at the paper, uh, we had the, the PGA championship was at Whistling Straits in, in Kohler, Wisconsin, which is about an hour from Green Bay, halfway between Green Bay and Milwaukee. Um, they asked me to cover that for, for the newspaper. And uh, I don't, I don't think the 04, no, definitely Twitter wasn't there in 2004, but 2010, yeah. I, I, you know, I had amassed a pretty good following for, you know, covering the Packers. And, I, but I took a week off from training camp in 2010 and covered the golf tournament. And they obviously wanted tweets but training camp's also going on, and I figured, you know what, people that are following my Packers Twitter account probably aren't interested all that much in the PGA Championship, so I just created a, uh, a, a Twitter account just to tweet for, for that golf tournament from there. But you are right. I absolutely love golf. Um, golf is my, my passion, my, my hobby. I once thought that 
I wanted to cover golf. And then I realized that people who cover golf don't get to play golf that much. <laughs> um, Cause you're, you're at a golf course and you're not covering it. You're, you're, uh, you do get to play some media events, but you don't get to play a lot on your own. So, uh, but yeah, I, I do love golf. I, I used to be a pretty decent player, not so much anymore. I mean, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna call BS on that because you shot a 74 at Olympia Fields, like not you, you that You saw long that ago. on my Instagram, huh? Of, I mean, come on. I am a reporter. We're friends, <laughs> but I am a reporter. I do my research. You shot a 74 at Olympia Fields, so I'm just. I, I think you're snowballing me here. Um, well, uh, so that gonna, way, if we play in April, <laughs> like you're just gonna take all of all of my donuts or whatever we'll play for uh a broken clock is right twice a day so I, I managed to find it a little bit it did remind me that i can still play a little bit but i will say this um uh i i used before i before my kids got involved in um sporting youth sports where they're playing you know every weekend either basketball or, or aau basketball or regular basketball or baseball i used to play an awful lot of golf it was also before I started working at ESPN when I used to get like seven weeks of vacation at the newspaper, and now I don't get that much. So uh, I don't play as much as I used to. Well, you mentioned your kids. You know, they're, if people follow you a little bit, they'll see occasionally you'll mention them either definitely Every on your Instagram account. Yeah. yeah. And, and a little bit on Twitter too. But what's it like watching your kids play sports? Because we, we get so pulled away from yeah. being a fan of anything, right? Like yep. occasionally yep. you'll be a fan of a, of a team here or there, right. or the alma mater, if they make a run, like if Ohio were ever to make a run, I would imagine you would maybe care yep. a little bit. Yep. But what's it like when you watch a kid's play? Are you able to like pull that away? Or do you just kind of sit there and be like, oh, you know what? Like I got to ask that. I got to ask the Little League coach, like what he was doing there, taking the picture <laughs> out. Like, you know, it's funny. When they were really little, like um, I'm going to say seven, eight, nine, ten years old, I coached a lot. So – um, that was, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, there, my oldest is now a freshman in high school and my youngest is in seventh grade, two boys. Um, and I, uh, I stopped coaching when they got to about, I guess, 11 years old, because quite frankly, that was where the limits of my, you know, they needed to be, they needed better coaching. Uh, but it was, it's really hard to sit there, um, and watch. Um, and, and I mean, you know, I'm an emotional guy. Um, you know, it's more like a referee makes a bad call and you bet you got to bite your tongue. Um, Mike, watching Mike McCarthy uh, get in trouble last year for chasing down referees at his stepson's high school basketball game in town and it being caught on video is a great reminder uh, of how, you know, I'm, I'm not saying like I'm, you know, anybody's going to care about how, you know, a, a, a ESPN team reporter acts at a high school baseball game, but you never know, or a high school yeah. football, uh, basketball game. My, I remember my wife telling me right when that happened, she said, this is a good reminder of why you need to know watch yourselves when you're you know at these events it's it's hard um obviously everybody wants their kids to do well uh and have a good experience but yeah you you know you sit there and you, you know our job is you know part of our job is to question strategy um after games and, and, and you start to think that way as you're watching you know why didn't you why didn't you why didn't you bunt here or why did why didn't you change pitchers or i don't understand your substitution rotation for basketball like you know uh yeah but i i, I it's you know it was hard at first i will i will definitely admit it um and, and you know stressful as well but um you know i i try to make an enjoyable experience for them and try not to relive my youth through them but it, but it is hard i will say that so rob we we're gonna we end every kind of big interview segment with a bunch of rapid with five or six rapid fire questions okay. so hopefully you're ready and here we go all person right. history, person in history you most want to meet. Uh, Abraham Lincoln. How did you meet your wife? 
at the student newspaper at Ohio University, and she was smart enough to not go into journalism. She's a college professor. She is incredibly intelligent, then. What's your pregame routine if you have one? Um, uh, usually driving to the stadium, listen to the whatever the local um, pregame broadcast is if it's, on, if, I, if, if it's on at that point. Best 90s musician? Oh, boy. Pearl, uh, Eddie Vedder, Pearl Jam. Okay. And the bucket place list that you still want to travel to? Iceland. Why? I just heard it's this incredible place. And uh, I supposedly that Iceland, uh, they named Iceland Iceland because they didn't want people to know it was that great. And they named Greenland Greenland to try to get people to come there because it's miserable. <laughs> I have never heard that before. That's what I had heard. Don't know if it's true, but that's what I heard. The other thing about Iceland is I know people that have gone there in the summer, and it's daylight, like 22 hours a day. And, and I know it's, they're, they're known for great drinks, and you can play golf almost 24 hours a day. See, you're just, you're just chasing golf around the world, my friend. I am. I've already played in Scotland and Ireland, so I figure why not Iceland? I mean, you just got to play all the Nordic countries. Like, just get up to Sweden <laughs> when, you're, when, when you're done with it, man. Sweden, Denmark, yeah. just, uh, you know, just kind of. Do all that. Forget all the tropical stuff. You just got to play yep, all exactly. of the Nordic countries. Go up to Banff right. and you'll be good. Hey, I live in Green Bay, Wisconsin. It's not like uh, it's not like it's um, you know. I, I I played in Dallas last weekend. It was ninety six degrees and sunny. That's for losers. <laughs> I was gonna say that. Yeah, that must be, that must have made you feel uncomfortable, actually. Yeah, a little bit warm. A little warm. Yep. <laughs> hey, Rob. Thank you for coming on. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time, being my first guest, and uh, hopefully you found it somewhat enjoyable and maybe come back again here in Week 17. Well, I'm honored to be the first guest, and this was, I don't know, how, it did seem like we were on very long. It went incredibly fast, so uh, that must have uh, meant that we, uh, we had a lot of good chat. Yeah, absolutely, man. Now a segment from our presenting sponsor, Regents Field, Ann Arbor's True Sports Bar at 204 Main Street in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Come on by to enjoy some great food, including some gluten-free options, drink specials, and check out the free ski ball and darts as well. You can also record a podcast of your very own here, just like me. Check out regentsfield.com or find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at regentsfield. Now, back to our show. The last part of every The Michael Rothstein Show will include some listener questions. Since this is a live show, you can come down here to Regents Field every Tuesday night. I'll post about it on various social media platforms and ask your questions live if you want to check out the podcast. If you can't get down there and want to hear your question answered on a future show, use the hashtag RothShow, that's R-O-T-H-S-H-O-W, on Twitter or email me at Michael Rothstein, the letter D and the letter M, at gmail.com. You can also ask me a question on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. Now, on to this week's questions. Josh Rosnowski from Twitter asks, This seems like a really even matchup between two talented teams. How does Green Bay's defensive line hold up against the Lions' run game? Lions have had a tough go for the most part, but looked really effective against the Chiefs. Josh, that's a good question, and at least from the Green Bay side of things, Rob answered it, I think, a little bit in the podcast when he talked about the Packers improved defense and some of the things they've been really able to do, particularly against Ezekiel Elliott last Sunday. As far as the Lions go, I think that they found something against the Chiefs. Yes, Kansas City's run defense is quite porous and the Lions have struggled over the first month of the year there. 
But I truly believe Carryon Johnson found something against the Chiefs, and he's going to be able to replicate that from here on out. Now, what gives me that belief? It kind of comes from what coaches have told me. Both offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel and running backs coach Kyle Kasky in the last couple of weeks have explained to me that Carryon Johnson is starting to trust in Bevel's offense more. Now, before that gets made into anything big, understand this. There's going to be a feeling out process with any new offense, and that's what Daryl Bevel's offense is to the Lions. So it's going to take time as the season goes along. But for Carryon Johnson, Kyle Kasky pointed out the second run against the Chiefs. He felt like it was a really strong run, that he really moved some guys, and that he got every yard that he possibly could. And that's the point where Kasky saw a Carryon Johnson that trusted what was going to happen all over the field, both from the play call perspective and the guys up front and everything involved with it. And you saw that afterward with how he ran. Is he going to get 100 yards every week? No, probably not. But he's the type of runner that is going to get better as the year goes on. You saw that last year as a rookie until he got hurt. He had his best game of the year, in my opinion, after the bye last year when they played the Dolphins. So I'm not going to correlate facing the Dolphins to facing the Packers. But you have to feel good about where Kerryon Johnson is headed, what they got against the Chiefs, how the offensive line has performed over the last few weeks and really hope that they build on that after the bye, starting Monday night against Green Bay. Ken Bryson asks, I was curious if you see, a, see and sense a difference in the facility between the end of last season and now. Are there any differences that stand out, or is it as simple as winning and losing? Ken, that's a really good observation. And yeah, winning has a lot to do with it. Winning cures all. You hear players, coaches, front office people in almost every sport you can think of say things like that. However, it goes deeper than that. It's both more of an on-the-field thing and an off-the-field thing. On the field, yeah, winning helps and a trust in Daryl Bevel's offense, as we were just talking about, and Matt Patricia's defense playing fairly well, including last two weeks ago against Kansas City. All of that helps make things easier within the locker room, but so much of it is off the field. Last year, they didn't know what to expect, and they, being the players, didn't really understand what to expect when it came to Matt Patricia. And Matt Patricia was still learning himself as a first-year head coach. Training camp was really, really difficult, harder than most training camps players had been through before. But coming back this year, players knew what to expect from Patricia, and you saw more of an understanding there between players and the head coach to make sure everybody was getting what they needed out of training camp and just out of the week in general. So there were some, I guess, compromises made and some understandings of what needed to work. Matt Patricia spent part of the offseason really trying to learn himself and what he could do better. I don't think it hurt either that their free agent acquisitions, including Trey Flowers and Danny Amendola, came from the Patriots culture that Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn are trying to, if not out and out replicate, at least massive amounts from because that's what the two of them know and where the two of them came from. So having those guys there can only help the culture. I, I think that Matt Patricia is really starting to install his culture here more this year, both with those acquisitions and just the fact that guys understand what to expect from Matt Patricia during the week, from training camp, all of the above. 
that helps make it a much easier atmosphere. But make no mistake about it, winning helps more than anything. And the fact that the Lions have gotten off to a 2-1-1 start and have really looked good in each of the last, or good enough in each of the last three weeks, has absolutely helped. Arizona was probably their worst game, and that was a game that they dominated for three quarters before it all kind of fell apart in the end. But what you saw against the Chargers, the Eagles, and the Chiefs, I think really gives Lions players something to believe in, and that can only help make the locker room better as things go forward. So that's kind of it. You can read my guest, Rob Domofsky, over at ESPN.com and follow him on both Twitter and Instagram at Rob Domofsky. You can read me also at ESPN.com, and you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and apparently TikTok, which I'm still learning, at Mike Rothstein, on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. And you can also check out my travel blog, complete with gluten-free suggestions in each city I write about, at michaelrothstein.net. Have recent posts about Barcelona and Vienna up there, and I'll have a post this week about Philadelphia as well. And thanks to Regents Field for hosting this podcast. Come on by to enjoy some great food, including some gluten-free options, drink specials, and check out the free ski ball and darts as well. You can also record a podcast of your very own here, too. Check out RegentsField.com or find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at RegentsField. Well, that's it. Episode one of the Michael Rothstein Show all wrapped up. Thanks to my producer, Matt Leach. Don't forget, if you like what you hear, give us a positive review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or anywhere else that you choose to listen to your podcast. We'd love all of your feedback as this show begins to grow. With that, see ya next week.